Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What's up on a Wednesday? I was about to say Monday. I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this October 23rd edition of the Rebel Report podcast. We've got big news. This is the last time you'll hear this podcast naked. Oh, oh, so so it's happening. Yeah, we're getting an intro. I got sent five to choose from. Honestly, I could have put it on today's show, but I wanted to tease it and build up the anticipation. Uh, it's a very generic intro, but like we have one coming. So Mailbag Friday would probably be the best way to kick that off anyway. So this is the last intro-less podcast ever. Well, ever, ever. It's a very radio entry where you get the guy with the cool voice to intro it. Like It's not just like some random music or podcast or whatever. Like It's kind of the same like super talk type in- intro. So, uh, yeah, so... This uh, this podcast basically just got its verified checkmark. Now it'll spew terrible opinions and have a gigantic ego online. And you didn't even have to wear George. Yeah, that's true. And I let the uh, I let the listeners off without meeting their end of the bargain. I said that we had to get the podcast to what like a thousand listens within the first, like within a twenty four hour period. We didn't quite hit that, but you get the intro anyway. So just call me Bernie Sanders. Everything's free. <laughs> anyway, we got a. Uh, we got a packed show today. We so we uh, the, we got to talk to Matt Corral last night, which is interesting. I, I don't understand Ole Miss media like media relations, and it's not necessarily their fault. They're taking orders from the football team, I would imagine as well. I say taking orders, just obviously that's a two way street. I'm not blaming anyone, but we've been requesting Matt Corral or John Rice Palmy in practice for weeks now and haven't gotten them. Now on the bye week, we got Corral. And that was the only guy we got last night. Like, Corral came in, we talked to him, and then they're like, all right, that's it. We'll see you on tomorrow. So, to be fair, is there anybody else you would like to talk to, though? Like, he kind of seems like a story. Somebody requested Luke Logan. Well, like, come on. I mean, it would be kind of fascinating. Yeah, but the, yeah, I don't I don't think that poor kid wants to talk to the media right now. I mean, no. But anyway, so we talked to Matt Corral. We'll get into that some. Terrence Davis scored his first NBA points last night. Played pretty well. Uh, he's got a real shot. We'll get into that some too. I was. Uh, I mean, it's one game. There's 81 more games in the NBA season. A lot of stuff that can go on. But I had some thoughts on that. Uh, we'll probably get into some World Series stuff. We'll probably get into a little bit of Ole Miss hoops, just because it is the bye week. There's not a whole lot going on from an Ole Miss perspective, but like football wise. And we, I kind of neglected hoops last week when they got their preseason selection and all of that at Hoops Media Days and stu- all that. Just with football and all that, that, how big of a game was that week, it was just kind of lost on me. So I will, uh, we'll get to that some too probably today. Uh, I guess getting started, I'll just go through like the what we w- learned Monday is from an Ole Miss football perspective and get all of that out. Uh, the bye week, I mean, this is such a cliche thing to say and write. But the bye week was well-timed for Ole Miss. Uh, They had a lot of injuries in that game against Texas A&M. Most notably, I'll just kind of run through the list here. Eli Johnson has turf toe and an ankle injury. He'll require rest. I don't think he'll be be out for the Auburn game. Ben Brown has an ankle injury that they think they'll be able to rest. Don't think he'll miss any time uh, as far as game action. Uh, Probably out for practice some. John Rice Plumlee. 
will have a minor knee procedure done this week that may have already been done by the time yeah, we're to this. Uh, he was not expected to miss time for the Auburn game. We'll miss practice time. That could de facto turn into, I don't know, something else. We'll get into that some any, anyway. I mean, we'll get to that some in a minute. I don't know how that affects who plays and how much at Auburn as far as quarterback. But he's supposed to be available for that game is basically what I'm getting at. Scotty Phillips, uh, knee injury, uh, pretty much just resting it. They don't expect him to miss any time. Alex Givens with another knee injury. They do not expect him to miss much time. Braylon Sanders day-to-day with that same hamstring. I guess he re-aggravated again. That has cost him half of his games this year. He's played in four, sat four. That's just kind of something they're going to have to continue to monitor. Elijah Moore has an hamstring issue, which they don't believe will miss much game action. So, honestly, if Ole Miss were to have a game this week, they'd be screwed. But it sounds like that most of these guys will be back for the Auburn game in two weeks, which as for a year when Ole Miss hadn't caught a ton of breaks, that's probably a pretty big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Only for a second. Um, Look, neither me nor you will probably be elite level athletes at any point in our life so this this doesn't you know uh it, it, it's not apples to apples i have a hard time believing a kid having a knee surgery is just going to be back in two weeks and ready to go um yeah i don't know man i mean with, I, i'm not going to pretend to be a doctor or know anything about the medical field but the, with the way things are nowadays guys have like knee i don't know what Plumby's deal is they didn't tell us but guys have like knee scopes and stuff like that like that's not unheard of that just seems wild to, to have surgery and to be ready to go in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, it's it's certainly a valid point. Like you, you know, if you if you're having something operated on to be able to play a football game less than fourteen days after that happens, I, I agree with you. But like, I don't know. I mean, minor knee procedure. Like, is he? I mean, this this is going to sound like full on conspiracy message board guy trying to play like you know operation in real life. But, like, I mean, is he even going, like, under anesthesia? How does any of that work? Like, I don't know what minor knee procedure means, I guess, is my my question. Because it wouldn't, like, yeah. technically get – but not that I'm saying this is happening, but, like, like I've gotten stitches on my knee before. Isn't that a minor knee procedure? <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit more intrusive than that. I, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just – yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. I, I think we'll – to your point, we'll probably know more if he's not practicing early next week than – I mean, he's probably not playing – so, I don't know. We'll see. But, I mean, it's it, it's still a valid point. I, I would agree with that. So, anyway, so launch, kind of a laundry list of injuries, but not anything they expect to be too terribly damaging coming back for the Auburn game, uh, which, again, very fortunate for Ole Miss. Uh, I guess we'll just cut to it. We talked to Matt Corral last night, really for the first time in a month. You can go find that video at supertalk.fm. Uh, I posted it last night. I might write something on it later in the week. It's very self-explanatory in the sense, like, I don't really know what angle I could come at to make it compelling from a writing piece standpoint. But, like, I mean, he just talked about his injury. It's interesting. You know, we thought the, like, bruised ribs, like, we thought maybe they were hiding behind that for the Vanderbilt game. Talking to Matt Corral, it doesn't sound like that's the case. He says he can still very much feel it uh, when he sleeps on it wrong. He says he's been fortunate not to have been hit there again yet. But says that's very much still bothering him. Here we are, what almost a month after it happened, a, a month after it happened. Like uh, that, that, that to me was a little bit not shocking, but like that, I don't know. That was like maybe it's a little more serious than that I gave it credit for at the time. If it's still kind of a slight issue for him, yeah, and, and maybe that's why they don't run him as much. Is, is probably I, I probably oh I, I would say that's that's a safe bet. Yes, um, but you know. I, 
Uh, look, bruised ribs hurt. I don't, I don't know if you ever had a rib injury, but my God, that, it's some of the worst pain you'll ever get. It, it just hurts to do anything. Breathe, move, anything hurts. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was kind of surprising that, that it, that's kind of still lingering a month out. Um, kind of leads me to believe it's probably a little more serious than they initially thought. Yeah, and then so he talks some about that. He talks some about the two-quarterback thing, how it doesn't really bother him, how he's just trying to do whatever he like can for them to win. And I know that sounds like cliched in Coach Speak, but honestly, for people I've talked to, I don't think he's as put out about it as – and I, I say as put out. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't think he – like, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at the situation from just anyone – like at any average person's standpoint – I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he's as bothered by it as someone lead him to believe. I think he's genuinely happy that Plumlee's having success to some degree, and that he really just kind of wants to win games. And for well, the problem a, is they're not, though. Yeah, exactly. But the pro, But for a guy that I think a lot of people had some some preconceived notions about it, maybe some rightfully so for what happened and I, for what you know some of the things that he went through in the recruiting process in high school and all that. I'm not like, like I, I, that's not really my point here, but he's shown an unbelievable amount of maturity and resolve. Like just the way, like you, I don't know the way he's talked to us has changed even just a year and a half. And he's become more mature with that. Like, I don't know yet. I mean, he's, he's coming and having a tough deal and he comes in yesterday and kind of like, not a joke, but just kind of lighthearted remark. Like haven't seen you guys in a while. And then, like, I don't know, he started talking about how apparently against Texas A&M he took a uh, gigantic shot to the nuts that did not feel very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what, that's, I knew he got hurt. Well, so he was trying so – yesterday he was, he was trying to describe that hit to the – he described it to where the sun doesn't shine, and everyone kind of got a good laugh out of that because I think Paris was like, actually, could you be more specific? And <laughs> then I was trying to transition back to the, the rib injury thing, and I was like, so with that hit, like, could you like, did you know something was wrong? Like, could you feel it in your ribs? And he looked at me and he goes, "No, no, man, this had nothing to do with my ribs." Like, thinking I was an idiot, and I was like, "No, I gathered that much. I'm talking about the cow game." <laughs> anyway, but he he he, he seems to have a, a, a sense of calmness and maturity about him that I'm not sure you would expect from a guy that had the recruitment that he did and kind of like I guess his reputation coming in here, particularly at 19 years old, because you keep. Like, his name's been around this program for two years now. He's been kind of propped up as the guy for over a year. People forget he's only 19 years old. He's a redshirt freshman. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's a young kid, too. He's still developing. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated how they handle him going forward, especially with, with Plumley surgery. Uh, it, it's interesting because th- this offense, that it, it feels like they're running two different offenses, and I don't know how successful – like, uh, we, we talk about, you know, playing two different quarterbacks and, and whatnot, but it, it's crazy to me that you kind of run two different offenses with two different quarterbacks. I don't know how much of a, a plan for success that is. So uh, that, that's kind of what I'm interested in, you know, going into this bye week and going into the rest of the season. If they morph that kind of into one offense or if they keep kind of being two separate identities when, when each quarterback's on the field. Well, yeah, and let's be honest, the most interesting piece of this quarterback puzzle yet to be plugged in is going to be the last one plugged in, and that's what happens in December. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... But what happens really the next month... ...losing two quarterbacks the, the way they're kind of doing that. Well, sure. 
I'm just not sure that's avoidable either. Like either way. Oh it, no, I, I disagree. It, it was avoidable. I think they could have kept three. I think Grant Tisdale was always going to leave. I think they're they're screwing around enough that they may lose the second one. I'm, yeah, I yeah, I'm, fair enough. I guess I, what I meant was there, there's probably never a scenario where everyone was going to stay anyway. No, no, you always going to lose one. But, yeah, so that's probably the most interesting piece left. I don't really have any insight for you on that. I don't think any of these kids necessarily, well, there's, there's probably a couple guys that know more than the others as far as, like, what they might do at the end of the year. But I think with the guys that are on the field, I guess I'll put it that way, it's still very much up in the air. Anyway, um, that's really about all the thoughts I had on that. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk to Matt Corral just for the sake of, I don't know, not transparency, but them just actually granting us him after a month. But thought he handled it pretty well. You know, he talked about his maturation as a quarterback. He didn't really, like, he didn't want to, he, he really didn't want to give the excuse at all that his that his development as a quarterback has been hindered by, you know, coming off the bench to throw three passes and then going back to the bench and playing split snaps. He didn't really want to attribute that to it all, but I think I think everyone in the in the room and everyone watching and listening and everyone probably knows that that's probably the case. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know how it would. Um, good on him for not, you know, throwing teammates and coaches under the bus or whatever, but yeah, I mean, you're coming in to play third and eight, and you're coming in to pitch the ball to John Rice formally for him to throw. Yeah, it's going to stunt your development. Anybody with eyeballs can see that. Um, it, it, it's been a tough situation for him. I, I kind of just feel bad for the kid. You know, there was a lot of people, and I was one of them, that, you know, after after the Cow game, I was kind of thinking, you know, let's, let's see what else is back there if, if he's not going to play well. Well, we've kind of seen it at this point, and it, it, it feels like he probably needs to go back to being the guy at some point. Yeah, but at that point, you thought it would be. I'm not saying you. I'm talking about us, like you as in a collective. Pretty much everyone. To your point about the Cal thing, you probably thought it was going to be Grant Tisdale at that point. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's been interesting how things have played out. I do think Corral is maturing as a human being and as a quarterback, though. I think that's evident in the way he's kind of handled himself through all of this. And the way he's really, I mean, just, I don't know, his demeanor talking to the media. If you want to go back and, like, the few times we got him last two springs ago or whatever when Tomu was still in the program compared to now, like, it, it to me there's a palpable difference in the way he speaks and the way he conducts himself, and I mean that in a good way. I, I think he has matured uh, for a guy that probably had some rough edges when he came to campus. I'm not saying those rough edges have been smoothed out completely, but I think he has matured which would only bode well for him and eventually probably bode well for Ole Miss. Anyway, uh, that's about all the thoughts. We've, we've hammered the quarterback thing into the ground. We did have a guy that messaged me on Sunday that I forgot to get to this question because I think it's a decent one on Monday's show. I know it's not Mailback Friday, but two questions. Who has more plays in the playbook, Rich Rod or Longo? <laughs> Rich Rod. I think Rich Rod, but I think it's probably a little bit closer than you might think. How much of the offensive struggle can be attributed to poor play calling? I think the play calling was adequate, but not strong enough. Like he could have put them in better positions to succeed, but it wasn't. Uh, it didn't completely hamstring them of a chance to win. I kind of disagree. I think it was atrocious. I think it is. Look, they're running the ball on seventy-five percent of first downs against SEC teams. At some point, that's just too predictable. Um, and I know there's, there's limitations in the passing game with one of the quarterbacks, but 
I mean, when when they're getting when they're selling out, they're, look, they're not even they're playing cover zero on, on third and eight. Like, you know, at, at some point you got to be able to mix up. I think there's been a, a, a lack of use in the screen game. Um, frankly, I just I think Richard's been pretty bad this year. I'll be honest. Well, I don't think I don't think it's been the whole year. I think this like I think you got to take it game by game because I think the Cal game he called a pretty good game. I sure. think yeah, that, I don't disagree. I, don't I think, think the last two have been bad. Yeah, I would, I would say less so for me against Missouri, and more so like last week was probably his worst called game. I thought that was a poorly coached game, really. From all Memphis was rough too. And yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't. I, I have a harder time faulting him for Memphis because when the offensive line literally can't block anyone, there's really not a whole lot you can do. Well, you can call plays that negate some offensive line struggles too. I mean, sure, but man, if you can't drop back and throw it and you can't run the ball, I don't really know what you do. A screen every once in a while would help. I mean, I guess to some degree, but like you're not going to make hay on screen passes the entire day when the offensive line can't block anybody because then you're asking them to move sideways and formate, like kind of get in another position and then block. Like you still got to block on a screen. Sure, but a bubble screen. I mean, it's like. Maybe get it out to Elijah Moore and let him go make play. I don't know if they run a bubble all year. Yeah, I just have a hard time faulting him for the Memphis thing for as bad as those front five played for most of that game. I thought Arkansas was pretty decent for the most Arkansas part. Law was fine. So, like, I thought this past week was probably his worst one. I, I don't – I didn't understand – I mean, we talked about this on Monday. I didn't really understand it at all. But I don't think it, the whole year has been bad. I think – They've probably been a little bit confused. As, like I mean, they're eight games in and don't have an offensive identity, which is a problem. They were kind of forced into one with Plumlee, which is not a bad thing. Like it worked for them for like a week and a half or so. But then they, they kind of they kind of got back out of it against. But they had success enough against Alabama and in sure. smaller spurts against Missouri, and then you had the Corral thing come back in anyway. They just they have it. They're they they really haven't found a permanent offensive identity eight games in, which is a problem. So. Uh, that's really about all the thoughts I had on quarterback. Let me pause and tell you the podcast is brought to you by LB's. Go see Greg, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It's grilling season. It's going to be like in the 60s and 70s the next like three weeks. It's finally the actual fall and cold is here. Uh, take advantage of it before it turns on, turns into full-on miserable winter. Go throw some steaks on the grill. Go see Greg. Let him tell you and help you what to get thrown on the grill. Steaks sausages he's got seafood they've got custom cuts you can get some jalapeno poppers uh some fried I mean, some i was about to say fried grilled mushrooms all kinds of stuff they've got plate lunches if you want to go by and grab some lunch he's always got some hearty meal cooked up they've got daily specials just go check out what they've got going on at lb's it's the best place in oxford to get meat without a doubt and the best place in the state of mississippi to get meat um, we'll have part of the LB's pick them today, probably, and then we'll get Greg and his picks back on Friday. Do you have the results? I do not. I'll have to, I'll have to get those on Friday. Okay, I, we'll, uh, we'll go on Friday then, as far as that. Um, I guess transitioning into basketball some, Terrence Davis recorded his first NBA points last night. He played 15 minutes in an eight-man rotation. The Raptors beat the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I think he had five points. He took six shots. But I think, I mean, look, they gave him a, a two-year contract with $2 million on the line. I, 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 think, I, I think he I think he's got a shot to turn into a pretty good bench player. Because, I mean, 
look, it's a long season. They've got guys on the bench. They've got guys like Stanley Johnson who have been in the league for a long time that he will compete as far as like be remaining in the rotation with. But the bottom line is he cracked the eight-man rotation from day one on a team that won the title last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I know he played pretty well, too, from what I saw. Look, I think Terrence has become a, a pretty good defensive player, and I think that's got to be his stalling card. Um, in this league, he's not going to be able to score, obviously, like he did at Ole Miss. So, um, I think Terrence has always had the ability to be a very good defensive player, and it feels like he's kind of coming into his own there. Uh, an eight-man rotation doesn't feel like much in the NBA. So for him to, uh, I mean, as, as far as depth-wise, uh, for him to be able to crack that kind of speaks heavily on, on what they kind of believe in him. Yeah, it's a different team, obviously, after Kawhi Leonard left, but they still have a lot of the same starting pieces. Like, they're an interesting team because they have Pascal Siakam, who they're kind of handing the reins of the franchise to and asking him to take a jump and really kind of be their number one scoring option. you still got Mark Gasol and what's left of his career and Kyle Lowry. And then they're still, it seems like they're trying to reinvent themselves, as most NBA teams are, as far as the bench and just... The fact that they, I mean, it's just your classic undrafted like NBA story in the sense that they see this guy in summer league, they like his athleticism, they think he fits, and they take a mild risk on him with a two-year, $2 million contract. And I don't know, I mean, look, on a, in a day and age where the NBA is such an individualized sport and you become popular, like people know who Fred Van Fleet is very much more so than they know who's probably the best like slot corner on the Detroit Lions or something like that. So Terrence Davis can carve out a, a, a niche in this rotation. He can make a pretty decent living for himself for a very long time and have a pretty good career in this league. I mean, he's on an eight-man rotation on a team that's going to be a playoff team, a team that's probably going to be a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference, I think, uh, just because the bottom half of the East is so bad. He's got a real shot here to carve out some one, both money and kind of fame for himself. And I, I don't like, I know that sounds like, I guess, like shallow or superficial, but at the same time, that's kind of the name of the game in the NBA. Yeah. No, I mean, he's got a real chance there. And I think it's a really good fit for him. Um, you know, they're in a not really rebuild mode, but I mean, look, they're not going to win the title this year without Kawhi Leonard. Um, so. It's, it's interesting to see how they're going to handle him. He's only on a two-year deal, too, so, I mean, he can he can go somewhere else after after next year. Um, and, and, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a good fit for him. I, I think he's got a real chance to, to make the money there um, and, 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 you know, increase his stock within the NBA round. So, um, and, frankly, the Raptors kind of looked good last night after starting off kind of slow. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, I, I, I had – yeah, I I think they'll be. I think they'll end up as a top four seed in the East. I think it'll probably be uh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and then Boston are probably the three best teams. And I think as far as a four seed, it'll probably come down to Indiana and Indiana, Miami, and probably Toronto as far as who ends up as a top four seed. But with the bottom half of the East being as bad as it is, they're definitely a playoff team. So it'll be interesting to watch how he kind of progresses this year. Uh, he took a chance on himself by not, you know, basically basically not not signing. Like, he, he didn't take a second-round draft choice and elected to sign as a free agent, which is basically kind of a gamble on himself. He gets in the Nuggets Summer League performs well and then now he is so it's a cool story to see i'm uh kind of excited to follow along this year i'm pretty uh pumped about the nba in general it started back last night you had um you had lakers clippers too which i caught about a half of and then to be honest i really couldn't keep my eyes open 
I fell asleep. You know, you've done gotten old, Rip. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the hell, that game was at halftime at like 11 p.m. I was just like, I, I can't stay up and watch another half of this. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis together is going to be fascinating. LeBron was horrible last night. The rest, the fourth quarter. Yeah, the rest of this roster really makes no sense. But those two guys are so big and so formidable together. Like, there's just, I watched a couple preseason games to where there's just basically. There's going to be 10-minute stretches where those two play a two-man game with each other, and there's really just not anything you can do. So yeah. I'm fascinated to see how the rest of the roster fleshes itself out. They're kind of counting on Dwight Howard to be like a 10-5 guy off the bench. I don't know necessarily if I buy that. I mean, they're, they're, counting, on, they're counting on guys like I mean, Troy, da- or Troy Daniels. And, and I, I don't understand. I mean, Danny Green was really good by night. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, he still shoots okay, but he can't defend. Like, I don't understand what they're doing with the rest of the roster after those five. But I think they can get away with being top-heavy. They're a fascinating team to me. I think the Cl- I think the Clippers, along with the Clippers, along with Denver and Utah, are probably the three deepest teams in the league. And then once you get Paul George back, they can legitimately go eight or nine deep. I still think probably the Clippers are the best team in the Western Conference with a nod. But LeBron and AD have a chance to make this super interesting. Because I think there's a world where Anthony Davis plays in that particularly just like when he and LeBron are on the floor at the same time or when LeBron is on the bench and he's off the floor. Like there's going to be a world where they run enough offense for him that he could potentially win the MVP where they just kind of ride him to the playoffs. Like they're a fascinating watch. I'm not sure if it's going to work in terms of getting out of the West, but they are, uh, they're going to win a lot of games and they're going to be fascinating to watch. I don't know why they don't just run pick and roll with LeBron and Anthony Davis. I feel like that would work about seventy percent of the time. Well, they they did that a bunch. Like you, you saw a lot of the two man game with them together, and that's kind of my point. Is there's going to be points? Like I mean, there, there, at a certain point, there's just a, not a whole lot you could do with that. I mean, you saw you saw Montrez Harold and Zubac try to do as best as they could with it, and, and there's really, I mean, there's there's really, I mean, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like there's really just not a whole lot you can handle from a. From a physical load perspective, and when they start barreling towards the paint, so I don't know. They'll be a fascinating watch. I think they'll be a top four seed in the West, if I had to guess, um, in an uber competitive Western Conference. But anyway, good for TD. I thought that was cool last night. I'm glad the NBA starting back. Um, I just realized I buried the lead to this entire podcast. I have a 40 minute interview with Andrew Stevens that I just completely neglected to mention at the beginning of the show. I don't really know why. I uh, I mean, I just recorded right before we started recording. So we're about to go to that. Uh, Andrew, resident Louisiana correspondent, degenerate, uh, father of Armchair Media. Go check them out at armchairmedianetwork.com. All kinds of cool podcasts. They're doing some live shows, particularly around New Orleans. Andrew has got an interesting perspective on things because he went to college at Georgia, but is a new, lives in Baton Rouge, and is a New Orleans sports fan through and through. So they've got some cool live shows going on in New Orleans and stuff. From Baton Rouge? Yeah, he's from Baton Rouge originally, and then he went to college in Athens, moved back to Baton Rouge. Um, we got an update. If you listened about a month ago, he lost his keys and had to get that strange Russian guy to make him a key uh, lock or a Russian locksmith guy to let him back in his car to get home from the Vanderbilt game in Nashville. Uh, he has an update on that and how he. T- uh, he is a middle school athletic director, so he uh, lost his all of his work keys. 
Uh, so he Ooh. finally broke the news to them on that. I don't believe he was fired, which is a plus. So anyway, we talk some SEC football, some other random stuff. Andrew's always got an interesting perspective on things. So a lot of SEC football talk. What's wrong with Georgia? How does Auburn kind of lob a turd in the punch bowl in this whole SEC race? Uh, so we've got that. Um, before I do that, we'll go one more time. LSU, uh, the podcast is brought to you by LB's. Uh, go see Greg at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg's got the meats. It's grilling season. Weather's getting cooler outside. Maybe you pour a nice whiskey drink and throw something on the grill and just enjoy the crisp uh, weather. Let Greg tell you what you're going to put on the grill. Let Greg help you find what you want to put on the grill. He's got steaks, custom cuts. They've got seafood, sausages. He's got daily specials, whether it's maybe a filet or ribeye special. Just go check out, see what they got going on in there. So he's got some kooky meat experiment coming up. He's got sausages. If you want some lunch, they got plate lunch. It's a great place to go eat in Oxford if you're uh, stopping by wanting some lunch. But go see Greg. They've got all kinds of steaks. It's the best place in Oxford, best place in Mississippi to go get meat. If you're looking to grill, go let Greg help you out on what to grill. And enjoy this cool weather before it turns on the miserable cold. But here is Andrew Stevens, resident Louisiana podcast correspondent, I think is what we're going to make his title. All right, and we now welcome on Andrew Stevens, resident Louisiana degenerate, uh, father of armchair media. Uh, we've had him on a couple times this year. He's kind of our college football just bullshitter, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase. I don't know. Anytime I need a guest that just wants to talk football, I just kind of text you. What's up, man? Nothing much. Uh, as a Georgia grad, emphasis on the bullshit as of the last <laughs> time I spoke with you, I think. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think the last time we talked to you had just recently – Gotten a locksmith to get you back into your car and back home safely from Vanderbilt. I think is what. Oh Jesus playing. Christ! I forgot about that. Yeah, this. Yeah, I just told. I just told my work that I lost the keys in my house, and they uh, thought nothing of it. And so I'm operating on a spare set right now. If I lose those, then we might be in some serious jeopardy. But uh, no, been good since then. I'm a self, my man. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Just kind of making it through, and increasingly. Like, it's been kind of interesting, but kind of boring football season at the same time. Like, the way Ole Miss is losing is not necessarily boring, but then as the losses pile up, people become less and less interested. So, you're kind of battling that. I think this past weekend was kind of probably the tipping point, just because they lose now. Like, they're not making a bowl game, because they have Alabama, or excuse me, they have LSU, Auburn, and then State, and like, New Mexico State or somebody. So, like, finding a way to lose to a very average Jimbo team kind of just pretty much killed the rest of the year i don't really know what i'm going to write about so i'm still trying to figure that out yeah i feel like the uh it's kind of from a from a reporting perspective the worst of both worlds because they're not good enough to where you can really have the national storylines coming in like in the the height of the freeze era but then they're also not comically bad so you can almost laugh at them expecting that something new is going to happen it's just kind of peddling around in mediocrity, especially with Luke on, I, I don't know how, how long the rope is that he's got left. I mean, I'm sure all of y'all are much more in touch with that, but I mean, it, it really does seem like people are more just apathetic than mad from the Ole Miss contingent right now. Well, yeah, that's what they've really been battling. I mean, it, it, you're dead on with that. That's really what they've been battling, I would say, for the last, oh, Two really years, I would say, probably since Luke's interim year when Freeze got fired for, you know, promiscuous phone calls and such. It's it's because you'd already had like four years of an NCAA just basically colonoscopy. 
And then the coach gets fired, and then they hire the interim guy, and then the interim guy lands the permanent gig after going six and six, and there's a lot more nuance to it. But after that, like you're you're over just the the anger and all that. It seems like as a fan base, they're just now apathetic, which I would argue is more dangerous because like an angry fan base probably still shows up to games and stuff. One that doesn't give a shit is results in like you know half filled stadiums, which is what they're battling right now too. So I would almost say the apathy. Well, I wouldn't almost say the apathy is definitely more dangerous than like a meltdown, and especially with. Just the propensity. I, I don't know what y'all have y'all have been necessarily slated with up to this point, but if you this is I remember I guess the the end of the Rick era, beginning of the Kirby era. I wouldn't necessarily say it was apathetic, but people were getting as apathetic, I guess, as Georgia fans can get. And when you couple that with a bunch of noon kickoffs, I mean, eleven a.m. for Ole Miss. I mean, things really, really take a dip because even the game days don't start to feel like game days. Stuff's packed up and done by 4 o'clock and stuff on campus. And so um, there's definitely a weird sense in these almost inevitable borderline bowl years, whether you even end up making the bowl game or not, where you kind of have to look at it at the beginning of next season and say, I, I felt like the stuff ended in the middle of October. We didn't even get a full season out of it. Yeah, what's weird is, well, Ole Miss, from a, I guess fan perspective, this is good, has only been – hampered with, I think, two 11 a.m. games. One was the season opener and one was Cal. Uh, much to my chagrin, I would play those things at 8 a.m. if I could. But, like, it's, yeah, it's you're kind of teetering on the same thing because now it's weird with Ole Miss because, like, if they had just beaten A&M and they had every opportunity in the world to, you're talking about an entirely different conversation this week because, I mean, you beat New Mexico State and then you got a puncher's chance at bowl eligibility if they win the Egg Bowl. And now you're just kind of waiting to where... Luke probably gets a year three, but he's also about to have a new boss, presumably in the next few weeks, months, tops. So I don't yeah, really... speaking. I was about to say, speaking of, my God, I I'm just from the Ole Miss slash college football writers I follow on Twitter. That seems like a shit show is putting it mildly. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 something. I mean, basically, they they hired. A guy had paid him $87,000 to then hire himself to be the chancellor of the school, basically. Is that how that works? So he basically gave himself I mean, an $87,000. Right, can we, bonus? like, take a moment, though? Like, respect. Like, on a baseline, respect to that guy. I mean, absolutely, probably an unequivocal piece of shit. But, like, you, you really, really got to just admire the absolute <laughs> balls and lack of care for the institution that he's about to start representing for saying... This was a coup from the beginning, and I'm not even trying to mask it. Well, the best part about it is you're talking about just steel balls. He then, like, so protesters basically basically railroaded his introductory. They were going to have an introductory, like, not really even a press conference, just an introductory, like, ceremony, which got canceled because of protests. And then he gets on a conference call it basically just has the balls to be like, yeah, this wasn't fixed. This was a legitimate process. Oh, and by the way, I'm not giving that money back. <laughs> just trying to sell it as, I just I just happen to be the best candidate. And isn't, isn't wasn't there something where, uh, I mean, I know that there's some rule where a state employee can't be paid more than, I want to say, like three or four hundred grand a year. And so, that like, that's all the football coaches are paid from the tradition fund or whatever they call it at every school. 
Um, but is it, aren't they ended up paying him like a million bucks a year just because of, I, I don't know, however he managed to swindle that. But yeah, not only taking the 87 grand payday, but then being able to, uh, parlay that into not only the, the, uh, max salary that you can get for a state employee, but getting also the, the private boosters to, uh, rile up a couple of more dollars because I have to imagine he'll have their best interest in mind over the next couple of years. My, well, that's my thing is I don't know how he like. I, my thing is is I don't I'm not sure how he's able to govern because the big thing with that whole Chancer deal was like it, it was almost a little bit of a of of a stalemate fight between maybe the more I, I want to say older conservative that's probably like generally labeling. Too, like too generally, but just for the sake of the the explanation, and maybe a little bit of the younger, more moderate, you know, left leaning, whatever you want to call it, crowd. And so that was kind of going to seen as the initial struggle to actually find a candidate they could settle on, and then of course it's completely taken out of their hands that you settle on this guy. My point being is like if you piss the left side of this school off and the right side, and they're both angry together in unison, you probably know it's a colossal screw up. So I don't know where he gets his support from. It is pretty impressive, though, that, I mean, maybe maybe this could be the unifying force that Ole Miss finally needed. Yeah, it's, it's like the coach that's like, you don't have to play for me. You can hate me. Like the old-fashioned yeah, like, exactly. non-players exactly. coach guy. But, yeah, dude, it's been a mess. It's never a dull moment around here. But to that point, he's going to have a new boss with an AD soon. I don't really know how he sells 4-8. and eight. You know, if he beats, wins the Egg Bowl, like maybe you can sell five and seven. But like what I wrote about last week is like you got to have results eventually, and they keep losing to average competition. They've had four coin flip games this year with Memphis, Cal, um, Missouri, which you can't really indict them necessarily for losing, but the way they lost, and then A and M, and they've lost all four. So eventually, you're gonna have to start getting results. The problem is is next year in a year where he want like the results are going to have to be shown and all these young players are a year older, you have Baylor, some crappy school, and then they play Alabama, LSU, Auburn in a row in some order to open SEC play. Good God. Yeah. So, and see, that's, that is one of those weird things about just the, the way that things are postured in college football is if you look at Ole Miss's schedule, just about any year where their talent looks like they do this year, you can chalk those three – three games up as losses, and I don't think anyone's really going to have a problem with it. But you do it back-to-back-to-back, and people start to freak out. I mean, if you play one of those games into September, one end of October, one end of November, and then you even lose another sporadic one around there, you you generally end up finding yourself okay, even if you're ending 7-5, even around 500. But something happens where you start off – even zero and one or or one and one. I mean, even if you start off two and zero, looking two and three straight in the face is almost enough to where if a couple of those games look bad, you're going to have somebody up top, be it AD, somebody really start to get antsy. Yeah, and then you're opening with a Baylor game you thought might be. I mean, I say you thought. I mean, we're talking about a 2020 game in October of 2019. But like at the time, with the way Baylor's program was, you're thinking maybe that's manageable. And hell, they're you know undefeated. Not, you know, Matt Rule's got that rolling. I think they should get Hugh Freeze and Art Bryles to do the coin toss at that thing. It's at the Texas Jesus Stadium in Houston. God. Just just have, just roll them both out there as like mascots, but. Can we make Holy War t-shirts if that, once that game gets played? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, like, we had, you know, you've got one coach 
who I guess is 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 transgression speak for themselves, and then you got another guy who you know compared himself to the persecuting of Jesus to a recruit and staged his own funeral and is coaching from a hospital bed. So you know, no, no lacking of dramatics there. They're gonna have to do something special pregame, or I'm gonna be severely disappointed. Yeah, the uh, the Hugh Freeze Liberty Tour is going. I'd say just about as I expected. I don't know how many times we've spoken since he uh, moved from hospital bed to <laughs> dental chair to I don't know porta potty on the side or in the coaching booth, but um, they're looking a little bit rough up there. Look, I've always said, say what you want about Hugh Freeze, but if he can find a way to bring liberty into the national like news conversation because of the ridiculous shit he's coaching in then more power to him. If he could do that for 13 weeks, which I guess he hasn't been able to do because the story died like three weeks in, but if he were able to perpetuate that for an entire three-month-long college football season, just hats off to the guy. Now, I was about to say, this would this would require a modicum of self-awareness, but anything to really deflect the Falwell name away from Liberty University, I have to imagine, um, is a positive for the university, whether they realize it or not. But, yeah, I, I just don't see... I mean, again, they can do it at Baylor, and so I know Baylor has at least the, the guys a little bit of, of an academic institution and not a religious cult. But, I mean, Baylor or uh, Liberty seems like they're kind of just really embracing the evangelical cult mindset. Well, that's why it's like the perfect place for him, isn't it? Like, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that when he, like, after all that happened, when he kind of, like, crawled back into the public eye and started making some of those speeches and stuff, like, Liberty was the first place. Like, it honestly makes perfect sense. Like, it seems like a perfect marriage. Oh, it absolutely, it abs- I mean, they, it, in the absolute definition of the phrase, they deserve each other. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Let's, uh, what's, uh, what's wrong with Georgia? What What's going on there? So, uh, Ole Miss has had... I guess I watched most of the South Carolina game because I was stuck in my hotel room in Missouri and Ole Miss had the late game. I didn't get to watch much of Kentucky because it was kind of right leading into the Ole Miss game right before. What's going on there? I mean, I want I want to be able to simplify it enough and say offensive play calling and really lack of imagination. And, and I would like to think that a new offensive coordinator with – what has been, I would say, generally the same talent and not doing what – I mean, Jim Chaney left for Tennessee, but Jim Chaney got the Tennessee job, thought he was going to be able to parlay it into a contract extension at Georgia because his was up, and they just said, no, nah, you can you can roll on out. And so but I guess I preface that to say they're looking a lot worse with generally the same amount of talent, maybe more talent, especially just because you've had guys develop on the offensive line and uh, you have a little bit of more experience at receiver than you may have had last year. Um, I guess losing Jeremiah Holloman and, and Terry Godwin was a little tough, but you, you kind of just end up in a position where you're questioning how is this offense this unimaginative time and time again. I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm not sure how much you've seen of the dogs this year, but – it really is like the old LSU trope in the that that got less miles fired of all right run run pass run run pass run run pass punt and so it they're really in a situation where the offensive line I'll say this the offensive line which was all lauded as the greatest offensive line in the history of college football 
they live up to it on the run side. They, I mean, they move, they wash dudes when they're trying to, when they're trying to run block, but they absolutely cannot pass protect. Um, I mean, Jake Fromm this year has not been awful in terms of like, I feel like there's, there's been a, a, a picture painted around him that under this new regime, he can't really do anything. But I mean, he's thrown for 200 yards a game. He's got like nine or 10 touchdowns and, the only three picks he's thrown were in that Carolina game. The reason, I mean, he was definitely the reason that they lost that and maybe a little bit of unimaginative, unimaginative play calling, but we have enough talent to be able to, I mean, beat that version of a South Carolina team any, any game at home. Um, but I don't, I, 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 the shitty part is I don't really know because this is a team that I legitimately could go in and see, go into Jacksonville and win 13 to 10. Or I think they could legitimately blow out Florida. I mean, obviously, I, I, I do think that there is the possibility that Georgia can lose that game. But I, as it currently stands, I mean, them being an eight-point favorite, I'd be a little bit nervous about. Yeah, that's what – so I was saying this on the on our radio show the other day. Is like everyone's asking, like, what's wrong with Georgia? What, why does Fromm suck now? Which, like you were saying, doesn't necessarily seem to be true. But, like, the Jim Chaney departure, because I know they promoted within with James Coley or whatever the guy's name is. Like, how big mm-hmm. of a difference has that in? Because that seems like the only logical thing to point to for the difference here. Because you mentioned the talent's not a drop-off. Maybe the offensive line struggled some. But that, like, if you're looking for a blame or, like, whatever, or the cause of it, that seems like it has to be it to some degree. I, I And I think that there is a little bit of... I don't know at what point you have sort of a feeling out period. And I think the large criticism, and this is where, I mean, I'm ultimately starting to move into is all of this has to fall on Kirby at some point. Like you can hate James Coley, but James Coley is not from everything I know and have heard is not enough of an offensive imaginator to take his own scheme and like go way over the top. Like, he does not have autonomy with this offense, I guess I'll say. And, I, like, I understand that you certainly recruit to something, but when you have a legit offensive line, legit running backs, two five-stars, even if they're freshmen at, at wideout, and then Jake Fromm at quarterback, I'm kinda, I kind of just don't believe that you are confined to running this true pro-style set. I mean, I, if you see me on Twitter, the only thing that I scream about during games is that Georgia refuses to run tempo. And so they're in this situation where you have an extremely smart, extremely cerebral quarterback who is probably his best skill set is not going to be physical attributes or anything, although he's, he's decent. I mean, he's 6'2", 6'3", but it's going to be him running to the line, getting guys in place, calling the audible, checking out off of, off of any bad coverages, spotting out any little thing that he might be able to off of a pre-snap read, and they just completely neuter that. The moment that they take the ball, run it, let the ref get set up, go full huddle, get the play call in. And I mean, they, they legitimately, like, it seems like they're trying to burn the clock out in the middle of the second and the third quarter, which just, it, it'll be, I mean, it'll be, it'll even beat teams like Kentucky when, I mean, yeah, it was scoreless at halftime, but you generally know that, all right, in the fourth quarter, if we keep doing what we're doing third quarter, we can just lean on them. That's what I've been saying this whole year is Georgia just leans on teams and they expect them to to falter in the second half. And that's really, really, like, it's a decent strategy, but you see it with what happened with Wisconsin this past year. That doesn't really provide 
a margin of error for anything wonky going on. If you throw a pick six like they did in the South Carolina game, if you muff a snap, if you do something like that, you can't really put together. You, you need a way to have a quick strike offense, even if you don't utilize it a lot, because there are times where you're going to have a seven-point deficit in the fourth quarter, or God forbid you get down ten points at any point in the game. You're going to have to be able to figure out and do something like that. You can't just rely on, all right, let's get up 14 nothing and then throw this thing into neutral and stall. What's the whole dynamic with the from Fields thing? Like, does it does – it, is, is it, like, hurt at all seeing Fields doing what he's doing at Ohio State? I know Georgia's can win a national championship with Fromm. They've essentially proved that by, you know, getting essentially as close as you possibly can without winning one. But is it like the Trubisky Bears fans thing where they just dig, like they don't want to talk about the fact that they could have had Mahomes? Like, what is kind of the dynamic with Justin Fields just lighting things up at Ohio State? It's kind of it's kind of funny because the Georgia, my, uh, a couple of Georgia fans I've been talking with, we've said like now there are certainly some scramble situations where I think Fields would have been a little bit more solid. Maybe you throw in some more read option stuff, but this would happen to some extent with Justin Fields because they just wouldn't give him the opportunity to make the plays. I mean, you even saw with Cheney last year. They did not change the offense by any means to complement Justin Fields' skill set when he played last year. I mean, certainly they'll give him some reads to, to heave the ball downfield and stuff against the U-masses of the world, but they're going to generally allow Fromm to do the same thing. I think Justin Fields is a more talented quarterback. I think both of them can win. Again, I think this is one of those little nuanced things where at no point was Georgia ever going to replace Jake Fromm with Justin Fields. And from all accounts last year, Justin Fields wasn't ready to overtake an offense. And, I mean, there is a lot to be said about most people that analyze quarterbacks uh, relatively religiously say their biggest jump is going to come after that first semester or that first real summer in the off season. And so their freshman to sophomore year jump is typically when you're going to want to see them really make those large strides. And I think part of it is fields got a lot better over the off season. I don't think that they would allow him to be as inventive as, Ryan Day is at Ohio State. I don't think they're going to scheme an offense around that. And clearly with the Braxton Millers and JT Barrett's and Cardale Joneses of the world, they have a proven history with being able to scheme offenses for dynamic quarterbacks. And I, I think lastly, it's, it, it just comes to a situation where Georgia, for better or for worse, is going to be predictable. And I think that predictability lends itself into conservative play calling. It lends itself into going with the proven quantity. It, it, it lends itself into establishing the run. And I think all of those things add up to we could have had Justin Fields in here, but I just don't know how much different this offense would look. Yeah, and that's the part that no one, whenever you're shouting on Internet debates and stuff, that no one really likes to realize is like, yeah, Justin Fields is probably pretty good, and like, but the like eight, like because I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but because he's doing that at Ohio State doesn't necessarily mean that one, it would have happened at Georgia, and two, they made the wrong choice because like no one, like when this stuff like this happens, no one wants to give credit to like Ryan Day and that entire staff at Ohio State for maximizing 
his abilities and being creative and stuff like that. Because, I mean, you've seen it in other places where guys go other places after transferring out and they look complete, like completely different guys, whether it's like Hurts, like with Lincoln Riley and all of that. Like, you got to give credit to the guy, to the guys who kind of morph the offense to fit his skill set because that doesn't happen everywhere, as you kind of mentioned last year with him as a freshman at Georgia. Like, it, it's kind of a two-way street in that sense. Yeah, no, no. It, I mean, it absolutely – you even see with a uh, – look at LSU right now. I mean, that that is generally the same offense. That is generally the same talent that they have. And, I mean, hell, even the, the, the five-star running back that they brought in, Emery, uh, from what I've seen, he's not even their second string right now. They got that Davis Davis Price guy in there. And so, like – LSU is operating with generally the same talent they did last year, but a change in scheme. And look how much different that offense is. Like, I think Joe Burrow is a good quarterback. I don't think Joe Burrow had some unbelievable ayahuasca trip revealing sort of offseason that just morphed him into this unbelievable world beater Heisman winning quarterback. I just think that they gave him an offensive scheme that allowed him to air the ball out. They actually put their weapons that they've essentially always had to use and I think Georgia is right now in the complete polar opposite saying we're bigger than you we're going to lean on you and you're going to get tired of it and my fear is I don't know if Alabama is going to get tired of it I don't know if Oakland maybe Oklahoma I don't know if Ohio State's going to get tired of it I, I don't know if these teams that have clearly equal talent Georgia's just going to be able to key in on them falling apart in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so that's a good segue and transition. I, unfortunately, with the way the games have lined up this year, have been able to watch very little of LSU. Like, Ole Miss played at the same time they played Texas and the exact same time they played Florida, which really kind of sucked. I watched, went back and watched some highlights. I've tried to watch as much as I can when they play, like, other, like, you know, they played at Utah State, and I got to watch some of that. But, like, I mean, it's beyond, like, we were talking back in, I guess September being like waiting on them to do it against a real opponent or to do it for a consistent stretch longer than two games. I think we've surpassed the is this real like debate argument. Like this seems very much real. So now the next question is is can they take it into Bryant Denny Stadium and beat Alabama? From the little I've seen, I tend to say yes and talked about can. I don't know if they will because you know that's a hell of a task. And Alabama's offensive, they have two back in particular is pretty good too. But I think they're more than capable of doing it to where this actually feels like a real rivalry game now and not can LSU score once or twice to make this interesting. I mean, this uh, this is definitely, I, I don't want to say their best shot since 2011 because, I mean, in 12 and 14, they were just about as close as you can get without actually winning the game. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but I think they're in a situation now where, I don't think Joe Burrow has any preconceived notions about how he should play against Alabama or what this rivalry – like, there is a very – I don't know what the word you want to describe it, but really, like, in a good way, like, I don't give a fuck about this rivalry. Like, in in the sense that Joe Burrow, I don't think, grew up on SEC football. Joe Burrow didn't even go to college for his first three years giving a shit about SEC football. And so I think that – now that Joe Burrow is, this is his first time going into, into Bryant Denny. And I think that there are a situation where he could end up shitting on himself, but it, it just doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like the guy that is going to go in there and become overwhelmed by that sort of situation. 
Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And then what's interesting about all of this is you have this matchup this weekend where Auburn seems like the team that's going to kind of throw the turd in the punch bowl and all this because they get Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. They get two of them at home. Like You're probably not winning two of the three with a freshman quarterback. You're probably not winning either of the three, but that defense is capable enough for them to win one and really kind of ruin someone's season. I just don't know who it is yet. Auburn is the ultimate like enigma here. I don't really know what to make of them or to make of like how they play a role in it. They're not winning the West, but they could lose it for someone else, and I don't really know who or how. But it just feels like they're going to pick off one of these three, does it not? Or at least scare the hell out of one of them. Oh, and, that's, and with, uh, as, a, as a Georgia fan, I'm terrified by Auburn just because the one thing Georgia does well is the one thing Auburn can stop well. I mean, Auburn, for, for any of their inefficiencies, they can stop the run like crazy. And so, I mean, with Georgia going down to the Plains, I am very nervous about that game. And, man, it would, re- it would suck the real wind out of that game if Auburn came into Baton Rouge next week and won. And something, so I think LSU still wins, but something makes me think that that is just an absolute barn burner. Because it, I don't want to, I don't want to say look ahead, but like, you know how this rivalry, the LSU-Bama, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it a rivalry over the last decade, has functioned in that three weeks out, this is the game that really occupies everything. And LSU typically does not they'll, they'll either catch them in the beginning of the year or in, the, in the, the middle of October. They typically won't catch them, even though they have a bye week that first game before Bama. And so I don't want to say look ahead because you don't really look past what is the top 10, top 15 program in the country. But there is definitely, I think LSU would say, bigger fish to fry. And this is what Gus does when his back is up against the wall and his job and like livelihood are on the line. For whatever reason, like if you tell that guy he's about to get fired, which in his case, getting fired is really not that bad a gig. He's going to get paid a ton of money not to coach. But for whatever reason, when you tell Gus, hey, man, start cleaning out your office, like he just goes into full-on like defend the fort mode, and he does it pretty effectively. And so I think... Like, is there a way he loses all three of these and survives at eight and four? Yeah, I think so because he's got if because he, he's doing it with a freshman instead of Joey Gatewood. Like, you can kind of sell eight and four freshman year with Bo Nix, but particularly if he wins one of these, he's probably safe for another year or two, is he not? I think if I, to be as weird as this sounds, I think however many of those games he ends up winning buys him almost an extra year, like. In the, in the godforsaken world that he wins all three of those, I legitimately, and wins the West, it could buy him another three years in Auburn. Maybe not three, but definitely two. And I think if he wins two, if he goes in and he beats Georgia and Bama, I mean, he's safe for two years. And I don't even think it's a question. Jumping around kind of just elsewhere, like, how, how do you think this shakes out? Like, what do you, who do you think's in the SEC title game? Like, because I mean, on, isn't I, Missouri kind of the? I know Missouri lost to Vanderbilt last week, but isn't Missouri kind of the Auburn of the East in the sense because they get Florida at home, Georgia not really playing well? They're good enough. Like I saw them two weeks ago, they're good enough to beat Florida or Georgia and kind of throw a wrench in that. I I'll say this: I don't see I, like for Georgia if they come out and just lay an absolute turd against Florida, I could see them having a. I mean, because they're they're. Uh, November is not, I mean, it's Florida, um, Missouri, A&M, 
some little sisters of the poor and and um, what's gonna call it uh, Georgia Tech, and so they they're in a situation where they have three. Oh wait, no Auburn. Did I even mention Auburn? Yeah, they go they go uh, Florida, Missouri, Auburn, A and M, Georgia Tech. They they don't even have a cupcake game in there, and so I mean there are. November can get real, real hairy for the dogs, and I think it's one of those where it's going to be defined in Jacksonville. And so if they beat Florida, I think they take the East. I don't think Missouri, if Georgia goes in and beats Florida, I don't think they lose to Missouri at home. Now, they could drop a game to Auburn and still win the East. But, I mean, at this point, I think I'd be dumb to say Bama doesn't win the West. Like, with none of those teams playing each other right now and with, at least LSU and Bama undefeated, I think it would be dumb. Now, again, granted, if you tell me that two is not going to play against LSU, that's going to be a little bit different. But as my brother, who I was watching the uh, end of that Bama-Tennessee game, I, I was like, oh, shit, two is hurt. And he was like, yeah, he's hurt now. He's not going to be hurt on November 9th or whatever. I mean, that's just not happening. Yeah, I would, I mean, they, I would they agree know. with that. Yeah, L- they LSU do. fans, I feel like they've seen enough. Two uh, was almost hurt a little bit last year. Tebow was almost hurt a couple of times before those games back then. I feel like LSU has just conditioned themselves to thinking if it's a big-name player and they're coming uh, to play LSU, then they're going to figure out a way to, to be healthy. Big picture, is there a world where Dan Mullen becomes a major thorn in Kirby's side because Dan Mullen is that much better of an in-game coach? Like, they're the a complete inverse of each other. Like, Kirby recruits like no other is kind of builds a program off the field better as well than anyone not named Nick Saban to where his Mullen default setting is he's kind of an a-hole and so he's not you know I'll just always just wonder with Mullen at Florida is there just a default baseline level you recruit at because you have Florida across your chest or whatever and you're in that yeah. state with if all those if athletes you're competent if you're which he I mean he I, I'm not a Huge Mullen believer. I've, I've equated he and Jimbo to about the same. Take that whatever you, you will. But I mean, I, I think they're generally going to be in between, like consistent eight to ten win teams. They'll they'll probably uh, and maybe not Jimbo, but I mean, I, I would think Mullen gets an SEC East title in there somewhere. Um, but no, they really like. I, I really have started to call for. So what, like for Kirby, like what is wrong with operating the Dabo model? Now I think Kirby's a better coach than Dabo because I think you can essentially have Kirby take over that defense. Now Dan Lanning has been a a very very pleasant surprise. This might be Georgia's best defense ever. Um, I mean they they just don't allow points. Teams cannot run on them whatsoever. Um, and so I I think that there is a a little bit of a thought to just become Dabo like. They're going to pay you whatever. You're an excellent recruiter. Go out and get coordinators who are better than you at this and actually give them the autonomy to do so. But the problem is it comes from the Saban model where you have absolutely impenetrable force. Everything goes through me. You don't talk to coordinators. You don't talk to freshmen. You don't do any of these things. And so I think that there there needs to be a little bit of a – relaxing of the reins by Kirby for Georgia to actually be decent because, not be decent, but take the step to where they're not losing one of these dumb games every year. I mean, Nick Saban, once he got rolling at Bama, didn't really lose these dumb games. Like, yeah, he might have lost to an LSU powerhouse team or a a team that was 
like Auburn destined to go to the national title, but he's not losing to South Carolina. He's not going into Auburn as a road favorite and losing by 24. Like Those are the little things that I think that is still the difference in, in the the where Kirby is inching up to get to Saban. But, I mean... At, at he needs more point, Edo in him. He needs a little he, bit more Orgeron in him in the sense of how he runs the program. Exactly. And, I mean, I think that you're starting to see that that's an extremely successful model. Like, a college football program is just too much to run to be great at everything. I mean, I could be wrong here, but... I feel like the downside of Oklahoma right now is Lincoln Riley hasn't done the same thing on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe he has too much to an extent. I mean, I know they had Mike Stoops in there forever, which was a a travesty from anyone I talked to from Oklahoma, but from from everything I've seen, there are a couple of schools that are a little bit of the opposite, where they've got the play calling down, but they just don't have the defensive schemes down, and so I think you end up with these coaches that were either insane insane offensive or defensive coordinators not willing to give their ego up a little bit to say, you know what, I am not as good as someone who grew up on the other side of the ball as me. Well, yeah, the Mullen to Kirby thing's fascinating to me, though, because like if you if, if if there really is just that baseline at Florida to where you recruit because it's just too too easy, Mullen can kind of win with whoever because like dirty little secret that I know Mississippi State fans we have some that listen to this show definitely know is if Mullen doesn't leave state last year that team at state has a legitimate shot at going eleven and one and really giving Alabama for a run for its money because it was the best defense in college football. What Mullen did with Nick Fitzgerald in seventeen would have presumably only gotten better at eighteen. You add in Kylan Hill, like that team could have really, really been kind of the twenty fourteen Dak Prescott two if Mullen doesn't leave. So like. I mean, bottom line, that guy wins football games. Is there a world where he just kind of repeatedly pulls Kirby's pants down from a scheme perspective to where it actually causes problems in the next half decade? I think there's a chance. Um, I, I, I think that he ends up in a situation where he will... I, I think Mullen's goal is if we can... If we can have our season come down to Jacksonville every year, then it's it, then it's a success. Yeah. And now, granted, a guy that's won national championships right there is going to say that national championships are our goal. But I, I think, practically speaking, with both of those coaches, um, if, if if you can get them to say, "I," if we can go into into Jacksonville with basically our entire season in front of us, and so whether that's basically undefeated or one loss with the SEC East, SEC title, playoff hopes still alive, then I think that, I mean, his numbers got to say that he steals one or two of them. And so if you can end up with a lot of these top ten matchups that are going to come down to determining the East in Jacksonville, I would be absolutely shocked that Mullen wasn't able to snag two or three over the next decade. Hell, maybe even more if Georgia cannot figure out how to do anything other than run the ball. Who's making the playoff? Uh, I'm going to say... one team from the SEC. That's that's what I I feel like I've become relatively. And now, granted, there could be something dumb that happens out west or something. But I think Pac-12 is done. I think Ohio State gets in up to this point. I mean, if not them, then Penn State. I guess I just don't see any way that Ohio State lose. I think at this point they'd have to lose two games. Um, I know they have Wisconsin, Penn State, and the and the 
and I mean, I'm not even including Michigan, but uh, they have those three and then the Big Ten Championship, but I, I really don't, I don't see a scenario in which those two Big Ten teams, both of them somehow miss. I don't see a scenario where Clemson gets left out, and I don't see a scenario where Oklahoma gets left out. So I think you then end up with one team from the SEC. But uh, I would have to imagine that a one-loss Clemson would be the first one left out, but I have no idea who in that conference has any shot at beating them. Yeah, it seems like the road is too easy for Oklahoma and Clemson at this point to get a second SEC team in. And even if that, if one of them lost, with the way Oregon's playing, like if one of them went down, it would seem like a one-loss Oregon would get in even before another SEC team. Especially if Auburn in this scenario beats one of those aforementioned teams where that Auburn loss on one Bo Nix pass in week one is is then the determining factor of them missing the playoff or not. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate your time again. Tell uh give me the uh the, the usual armchair media pitch plug. Everybody needs to go check it out. Tell them where they can go check it out. Yeah, we're uh, at armchair media on Twitter, on Instagram. Actually one small thing, so I, I don't know how much of it is a New Orleans contingent, but for any New Orleans uh, listeners of the show, we are doing our first live show. Uh, we have our Pelicans podcast and our Saints podcast that have been uh, very nicely, and we're going to do a live show at Tracy's in New Orleans on Magazine Street. So might only appeal to one or two people, but if you're in New Orleans, come see us on December 14th. Absolutely, dude. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this sometime again soon. I didn't get to much NBA today, but we need in the next couple weeks to come back on and hop and talk some NBA before that gets rolling too much. I was, I was about to say, give me when Zion's healthy again. I'll be less apoplectic. That's exactly what I was about to say. When Zion comes back, we'll start talking NBA. NBA doesn't really start till Christmas anyway. But, exactly. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk about how we need to fix the NBA scheduling problem uh, coming forward. We just need to start it on Christmas so we don't have any months with only baseball but well for, for another day exactly dude appreciate your time come back again soon absolutely be easy rep All right, and that was Andrew Stevens I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that always enjoy talking to Andrew we just pretty much just basically I answer the phone and I have no plan at all I didn't even tell him what we were talking about we just start going so He's all, he loves college football. He loves the NBA. I'll probably get him on to talk some NBA when he's out of his Zion Williamson depression. Uh, so, And the NBA doesn't really start till uh, Christmas. So we'll probably have him on to talk some NBA, some stuff like that. Um, wrapping things up with us, let's get to the part one of our LB's Pick'em. And then we'll get to the meat of the LB's Pick'em on Friday. Pun 100% intended. Uh, not to brag, I came up with that myself. Um... So, let's see. Who do we have Thursday night game this week? I don't even know. Do you want the standings last week first? Say that again? Do you want the standings from last week first? Yes, yes. Sorry, I jumped the gun there. What, what is last week's standings? How did Greg do? What happened? All right, so uh, so Greg went, let's see, 16 and 11. So that's um, two winning weeks in a row? Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I got to ask, Rip. We, we picked 27 games, right? Yeah. Um, what, what do you think your record was? Honestly, I have no idea. I don't remember at all what I picked. Okay, it was it was not good. It was a uh, ten and seventeen week. Um, let's see. I went seventeen and ten. So for for the season, we've got you at forty five and forty nine. I'm at fifty eight and thirty six, and Greg is at thirty and twenty. 
So that's that's where we are going in this week. We might have to add some things. Um, you know, we can pick some baseball today. Uh, there's not much on Thursday night, if I remember correctly, though. I'm looking it up now. Greg's thirty and twenty on the year, so you can go get meat from Greg and gambling advice. Like, yeah, yeah, sixty uh, percent will make you some points. Yeah, Greg seems like a pretty swell guy. If you want to take him to just tie him down next to you at a blackjack table, he'd probably have a knife to escape since he's a butcher. But um, yeah, so I would go listen to Greg for your gambling and your meat needs. You know what? Everyone who listens to this podcast, just go walk into LB's today and demand gambling picks. Say, I don't want any of this meat. I just want winners. Uh, I'll pay you for them. Yeah, actually, don't do that. He'll probably probably be pretty upset with me for uh, suggesting that we do that. Uh, we got a somewhat interesting Thursday night game in college. Uh, SMU Houston. Uh, SMU's a fourteen point road favorite. I'm probably laying the stings. Do you, do you know what great teams do? Cover. That's right. And SMU is seven and zero against the spread this year. I don't know what idiot would pick against them at some point. Yeah, I. Wait a minute. Are you sure? Wait, no, six to one. They didn't cover against Tulsa. That was, my bad. I was about to say they got down early. I was. I just remembered one. Yeah, so, so they were undefeated going into Tulsa, and I forgot that. Yeah, I'm probably uh, going. The game. I'm yeah. probably going SMU. Yeah, I'm still not picking against SMU. That is the only Thursday night game, and then in the National Football League. We have... Oh, yes, sir. What a game we have. Oh, Skins Vikings. I'm laying them. Kirk Cousins, bad defense at home. It's getting ugly. That and he hates the Redskins. I'll probably go That's Vikings, true. too. That's true. think about that. He, yeah, he, the, he, he does not like the Redskins. I'll, uh, I'll go... win by 100. I need Kirk Cousins. So, my fantasy team, one is three and four, and one is four and three. They were both three and three entering last week, and Mahomes went down, as I think I mentioned on the pod. I uh, I picked up Kirk Cousins in both leagues and kind of riding him out till Mahomes gets back. Which, if Kirk Cousins continues to perform like he has the last month, I'm going to be fine. But I really need the Vikings to uh, play well. Yeah, well, he's got to keep playing bad defense. Yeah, he does. To his credit, though, the last couple of weeks they've played a couple of decent defenses and he's been pretty good. I thought last week in particular was impressive. Maybe he's arrived. I don't know. I'd like to see him do it in a standalone game for once. Uh, so I think those are the only two we got. I think we're going to both big favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a Friday game, uh, USC minus 13 at Colorado. We do. Do you want to pick that now or Friday? Uh, whatever. It's, I mean, we can take it now. I'm, I'm taking USC. What is the, what is it? 13 and a half. Where? At Colorado. Whatever. Give me the Buffalo. All right. Well. I got to start changing stuff up. Um... <laughs> Let's see. You want to pick the uh, baseball game tonight or not? Yeah, I think I'll go Houston tonight with Verlander on the mound because it's a game they have to win. Minus 178. This has been crazy. They were like minus 190 versus Max Scherzer yesterday. They're minus 180 against Strasburg today. Like, Jesus Christ, that's a lot to choose. That's going to be a scary proposition. You're down 0-1 in a World Series and here's Strasburg. Yes, yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched most of that game last night. The uh, It seems like for the first time really in these, well, I say the first time in these playoffs, the, the Astros lost game one last round. Last night felt like more of a punch in the mouth. Like, yeah. Because you had because the game one was a little different in the ALCS because they had Grinky going, and Grinky's not been great in the playoffs. This was the hottest pitcher in the world in Garrett Cole. You get up early 2 nothing on, uh, I forget, who hit that double? Was it Gurriel? 
Astros get up early 2 nothing. you're like, okay, Washington's kind of sunk in this game, whatever. See if they can make it a series in game two. I, I know that's kind of dumb to say on a 2-0 lead in the third inning, but with Garrett Cole pitching the way he's pitched for the last month and a half, it kind of felt like, okay, this is probably over. And then Washington just kind of punched him in the mouth. Juan Soto is kind of becoming a a, a, a legend in legend. front of everyone's eyes. Yeah, I mean, he hit, what, he hits two, he hit a, a bomb and a double. Or was it two bombs? It was a bomb and a double. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, the first one goes to the train tracks, and they go up 5-2 and hold on for a 5-4 win. Uh, it's interesting. Like I've never seen a, a, a team have as little trust in the bullpen make it as far as the Nationals do. I know they're the worst bullpen statistically ever to make a World Series, but like they get up 5-2 and they don't even think about it. They just say, screw game three, we're going Corbin. Wait, did they throw Corbin last night? Yeah, he was the first guy out of the pen. Really? Yeah. He, was... Corbin, I want to make sure I have the actual numbers correctly, but Corbin, I believe, threw two and a third. Let me make sure this is correct. I'm, I'm looking it up. No, he threw an inning. I don't know why I thought he came in. So he threw an, I guess he could, he'll, he'll be fine for game three. Yeah, and then they go Tanner Rainey, who was a Cincinnati Red when I was there, uh, Hudson, and then Doolittle. So I say that. I don't read so he, I don't understand going to him in a 5-2 game, but I guess they had a game plan. And Their bullpen kind of was so bad. Yeah, but you still went with Rainey, Hudson, and Doolittle. Yeah, but. I mean, they probably needed a bridge. I'm sure the plan was Corbin for an inning, Rainey for an inning, Hudson for an inning, Doolittle for an inning. Boy, if you told Houston yesterday, if you'd have told A.J. Hinch before the game, hey, you're going to score two runs in the top of the first, and Max is only going to go last five innings. He'd be like, all right, cool, we win. Yeah, because they spiked his pitch count early. So, anyway, my overall point is he throws 112 pitches in five innings. Corbin threw 13 in that uh, – 21, excuse me, in that one inning – Rainey lasted a third, and then they got four outs from Hudson and four outs from Doolittle. But they uh, they kind of punched Houston in the mouth for the first time. And then the, the, the kind of the SOB thing about pitching against the Nationals is like they lose game one, and then you're like, okay, now you got to face Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin back-to-back. To where yeah. one of the guys for you throwing is going to be Grinky, who has been very erratic. Yeah, because um, if you're the Astros, you really need to win the next two because uh, – Max is probably coming back to game four and got seat. Yeah, no kidding. I guess you just got to find a way to get this. I mean, you got to win tonight if you're Houston, and then you got to win one of the three in Washington. But to your point of view, if you wait till game five to win it, woo. Um, so this is going to be a fascinating World Series. I we they were the the fringe baseball crowd was complaining on radio yesterday about how it's not a compelling matchup. I think it's the greatest collection of pitching talent ever to square off in a World Series. I don't really know what more you'd want. Ooh. That 17 uh, Dodgers Astros is pretty good. But the Astros that's rotation's that's better Kershaw, now. Kershaw, Verlander had just gotten on the Astros. I'm probably still taking Verlander, Cole, Grinky to Corbin, Strasburg, Scherzer slightly. I'm trying to think who was the if Darvish was on the Dodgers. They had Keuchel. Yeah, it's probably still this one, but that 17 one was real good too. It was. Why it went seven? It was. So, anyway, uh, so that'll game two tonight. Uh, it is Verlander, uh, Strasburg. Should be a fascinating one. Uh, is there anything else we missed? I had a couple of topics written down that I. Ole Miss sold beer and nobody died. Yeah, they, so they sold, what, 15,400 beers? Yeah, something like that. Th- that's they a lot. Of, like $100,000, which that's good. 
They did. I wonder how much. Uh, I think that was gross revenue. I wonder how much they actually profited. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm betting. I think. I think I figured it up somewhat, like not officially. It was. They made over a hundred thousand. So I think, like, if you did profit, I think they made right at a hundred thousand or so. Well, they need all the revenue streams they can get because they're paying buyouts and they haven't had bull money in quite a while. So, and it feels like they may be close to paying some more buyouts. So. Anyway, yeah, that happened without too much. I guess we were burying the lead on the World Series deal. The Astros have a bizarre deal going on right now. Yeah, that. Look, I, I get the people that don't like social justice warriors and everything, but like, come on, and that that dude was obviously making a point. So basically, and I'm going to take some liberties here. That I'm going to say full disclosure: this is not exactly what happened, probably to the T. But basically, what happens is if you haven't seen this story, is the Astros, won, the Astros won the ALCS. You're doing the uh, the classic locker room celebration and all of that, right? And an Astros executive, basically. So, if you'll remember, what for the World Series run was it last year or two years ago? They signed us in the last year. Yeah, they didn't so, make the World Series last year. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess I should have said playoff run. Um, yeah. Last year, they signed Roberto Ozuna, who was one of the better elite pitchers in baseball. But he had also had a domestic violence charge where I think he strangled the mother of his or the mother of his daughter, and yep. she fled to Mexico or left to Mexico. I don't I don't know if it was fled, and dropped all the charges, and so the Astros basically signed him at a discounted rate because they knew what they would pay for what they the discount they basically they got in yeah they traded in trade value before. was going to be paid in public perception. And they knew there were other teams that did like weren't going to be able to withstand it. So anyway, they trade for him. He was pretty good last year for them. But what was interesting? So fast forward, they beat the Yankees in Game Six of the ALCS. They're celebrating in the clubhouse, mind you. Roberto Ozuna had given up the game tying home run in the ninth inning to DJ Mayhew. Yeah, so he, he blew the game. He blew the game. Then Altuve wins it right back, and the Astros assistant general manager is in the locker room in the clubhouse apparently. Shouting in the direction of three female reporters, I'm so glad we got Ozuna. I'm so effing glad we got Ozuna. And I'll be honest with you, when this story first came out, Sports Illustrated published it, a female writer at Sports Illustrated published it, I was not in disbelief of the story, but I was sitting there thinking more information is going to come out about this because there's no way this guy just randomly walked up to these girls and was like, these women, excuse me, and were like, yeah, I'm glad we got Ozuna, like, in-your-face domestic violence rules. Like, that just didn't seem any, like, rational human behavior feasible to me. But it turns out that's essentially exactly what happened. That's kind of what happened. Yeah, I mean, it was really just beyond disbelief. And I, 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 I'm generally skeptical at news stories that come out and generate outrage on the surface because there's generally more information and nuance to it. But this was not the case. This guy was just... And so one of the women had on a domestic violence bracelet. And, and did you see the she, story that came out last night that he had gotten into it with one of these women about had, posting things about domestic violence on Twitter? Yeah, upon Azuna's entry into the game. So basically yeah. he had beef with one of these reporters, it turns out, and then basically just to shout, decides to shout in their direction, I'm so effing glad we got Azuna after he blows the game and has a pretty un... un I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Unflattering? Unflattering past. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably not the best look 
And then they basically, the Astros basically initially tried to they say... They called that, her a liar. Yeah, they said the story was false. And then they had him craft this BS apology where he said, I'm sorry to... Everybody who, that was offended. Yeah, that may have been offended. That's just not, not a good look. Somebody needs to handle their public relations. A.J. Hinch probably does. I don't know if you saw his presser yesterday. He nailed it. Um, he did a really good job, but... Anybody else in the Astros organization from a PR perspective is kind of despicable right now. Yeah, I just I'd one that's that's mind boggling behavior to me. I You've guess. got to fire him, right? I mean, they're not going to, but I probably I would. Like, I, it's a fireable offense. Is base? I'll put it that way. Like it, it, it's certainly like if they fired him, I don't think that would be an overreaction. It doesn't sound like they're going to. I mean, it sounds like this guy probably just had too much to drink and was being really angry and aggressive, which is not dis- – I'm not excusing that at all, but that sounds like probably what was happening here. Sure, sure. But, hey, what, what's the whole thing about, you know, alcohol or whatever? It doesn't reveal – or whatever. It, it shows character whenever you start talking like that. I mean, it, come on. Like, and I'm not saying you're saying that. It's just it, – that guy is who he is to me. I, I don't really – what a loving really father and husband, before. like he said. Do what? He's a loving father and husband. His, his statement said as much. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I wasn't trying to, like, that was not in any way excusing it. I'm just trying no, to set, I know you're not. set the I, scene I, here. He's probably walking around with a bottle of champagne. He's had a few. Hey, there's there's that reporter I got into it with. I'm going to yell something terrible at her, which I don't understand that at all. Your team just won the ALCS. I don't understand why you're worried about that. Why are you making this about you? Yeah, that yeah. just seems yeah. very mind-boggling and honestly very bizarre behavior. Like I said, when the first story initially came out, I was like, there really has got to be a little more to this. There's no way this is like completely on the surface what happened. Not that the SI story, I was saying it was inaccurate. Just like there's got to be something a little more here, and it turns out there, there really wasn't. So, I do like uh, the people that uh, believe the other reporters that corroborated her story are just all in cahoots with her. They've all formed a coup to go after this guy randomly. That that's big stuff. Yeah, you do. I mean, but but like it's just if people will define divine uh, blindly, excuse me, defend their team and stuff like that. Because like newsflash, when someone blames the media or they blame the media for having some kind of conspiracy, like no matter what the president says. 99 times out of 100, that's probably not the media's fault. We're not that diabolical, I can promise you that. Um, I do like uh, Matt Nagy for the uh, Bears said that the media was trying to divide the Bears. They're like, Chief, your, your quarterback can't throw past 10 yards. That's y'all's fault. Yeah, I, yeah, but it's the media dividing the team. So, uh, yeah, anytime you know that there's a, a team is in bad is in bad shape or is th- as a head coach that's thin-skinned when the media becomes the problem. That's basically a general pretty good gauge as to as to a guy who's very not secure in his own skin or two, the team is sucks and they're beginning to realize they suck, it becomes the media's fault. Anyway, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here. I just found that to be an insanely bizarre and really just awful story. And the timing of it is just odd in the sense that, like, this happens before game one of the World Series. I don't mean, like, putting out timing of it. I just mean, like, why in the world would you do that when you won the ALCS? Why would you do that, period? But, like, the timing of it is just inexplicable to me. I had a lot more respect for dude. He was just like, yeah, I got really drunk and said some stuff I probably shouldn't have said. That's on me. Uh, I'll address that and, and, and get better from it. And dude's like, uh, yeah, if you're offended, that's my bad. Yeah, uh, no kidding. That's uh, bizarre. Uh do you have time to get into NBA? I got. I mean, I'm not going to go too far into NBA thoughts, but I'd like to give some picks. Sure. 
So NBA starts up last night. This is the first year I think I'm doing League Pass. I really I've become bitten by the NBA bug the last like two years. Like I'd say four years ago, I watched essentially no NBA until it got to the playoffs, and I've become just essentially infatuated with with it for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't even have a team. It just kind of like the intrigue of it hooks me in. Um, bold prediction: I think the Warriors missed the playoffs. Wow. Okay. Well, Clay Thompson's not playing this year, more than likely. Like all year? Yeah, dude. Like they, everyone keeps saying, well, he'll be back in March. It's like, well, he tours ACL in June. Steve Kerr actually said yesterday it's unlikely he plays this year. And do you think that medical staff wants to rush a player back after what they just endured? Sure, that, that that's certainly fair. I think they're going to be atrocious defensively. I think Steph Curry will provide, like he and Nick, uh, excuse me, he and D'Angelo Russell. I think will provide pretty good amount of offense, so they'll be kind of a fun watch. But I think they're going to be absolutely abhorrent defensively. Um, you know, because I mean, Clay was their best perimeter defender. You don't have him; you get worse defensively without Durant. Uh, so I would say they have a better chance of missing the playoffs than being a top five seed. Oh yeah, I would certainly agree with that. Um, I think the. I think the Denver Nuggets probably either – I'm trying to decide here on the spot. I'll actually go Utah to win the West uh, regular season. They'll be the one seed. I think I'll yeah, go over, – Over the Clips? Yeah, I think the Clippers the, – Paul George is going to miss a month. Kawhi Leonard's not going to play more than 65 games. And I think to a team like Utah, I think home court advantage in the playoff matters a lot more. Okay. Uh, What's I, wrong with PG? Uh, he's still got that shoulder deal to where he's going to miss the first month of the season. Okay. Um, I think that matters more to them. I think that I, I think a team like that, like Utah, is deep and they're going to bring it every single night. To whereas you're going to have load management, the quiet. I think you're going to see that a little bit the same thing with LeBron and AD and the Lakers. Because look, if the if the Clippers and Lakers are four or five seed respectively, that's not really going to matter. You have LeBron, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George on a playoff team. Like regular season is totally different. So I think Utah wins the regular season. I think I'm going to go Clippers to Denver three. And the Lake, I'm going to go Houston four, Lakers five. Okay. Uh, although I do think there's a potential where this Houston thing completely blows up. I think there's a potential where they absolutely destroy everyone in the regular season and win the one seed, or I think they blow up, and somehow I pick them in the middle. I don't know why. And then I'm going to go... Dang. I'm going to go, oh, I haven't gotten to, so who did I, I went Utah, I went, okay, I actually, scratch all of this, I, I, I'm, I'm, my brain is all messed up, I had these written down last night, I'm going Utah, Houston to Denver 3, Clippers 4, Lakers 5, and then I am going to go Dallas 6, Golden State 7, and San Antonio 8 with New Orleans competing for it. You just you just picked uh, the, the Warriors to miss the playoffs, though. Yeah, I think there's a good chance. I'm probably backing off that a little bit. I think there's a decent <laughs> chance. I think if they, don't, if they miss the playoffs, I think it's because Portland gets in. Okay, that seems fair. In the East... 
I'm going to go Philly to win it. I think they're going to be a hell of a regular season matchup for teams because they're going to be times where they just go so gigantically huge on the floor. The other teams are going to be like, to hell with this, we'll just go to the next city. Um, so I'll go Philly wins the East, Milwaukee the two. Ooh. I'm going to go Miami Heat three, Boston four, and Toronto five. Yeah, six seven eight doesn't really matter. I mean, you can fill in wherever you want. The, yeah, I think the winner's coming from that. I think it'll be Indiana. I, I'll be interested to see because the Indiana picked up Malcolm Brogdon, and Oladipo is probably not going to play until after Christmas. Yeah. So what does that look well. like? So I think they're probably in the six seed range, and then I'll go Orlando as the seven, and I'm going to pick. The net slightly over the Bulls to be the eight seed. Okay, Bulls are going to be better this year. Yeah, they are. They'll be a little more fun to watch. So anyway, those are my playoff predictions. Those are going to be horribly wrong. That was probably really <laughs> terrible uh, podcasting. I don't really care. I'm pumped about the NBA season. There's so many more just fascinating teams, and it's weird. It's like a, you're pumped up about it, but then you have Paul George is out a month, Zion's out six to eight weeks, Kevin Durant's not playing this year, and. Clay Thompson's not playing this year. Like the 2020 season is going to be insanity. Yeah, yeah. When all those guys are back and healthy, Zion's probably got a year under his belt. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, we've gone too long today. I will. Uh, we'll be back at it on Friday, Mailbag Friday, the People's Holiday. Um, we need a lot of your questions. We need a good performance because there is no game to preview this week. We'll get into some SEC matchups. We'll get into the meats of the LBs. Pick them. Go see Greg at University Avenue across from Kroger. Let him tell you to what go put on the grill. Let him help you put whatever you would like to put on the grill. Steaks, custom cuts, seafood, whatever. Go see him. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, that's all I got for today. You got anything else? No, we're good. All right. Like and su- uh, or subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. And get ready and prepared for our intro on Friday. This is no longer a nude podcast. So we'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. Thanks for listening. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.